Hello, and welcome to Booze and the Bible, a podcast of the sanctuary where we discuss the good book and good booze. And now, here are the hosts of Booze and the Bible, Dan Robb and Mark Wadsworth. Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. It's a podcast about booze and the Bible. He's Mark Wadsworth, the brewmaster, and I'm Dan Robb, the theologian. On today's podcast, we are going to ask the question, does God give us eternal rewards? But first, for our booze today, we are going to venture into something other than beer. What could that be? Oh, right, bourbon. Mark, I have a burning question, no pun intended because I said bourbon, to start today. Are high-priced bourbons really worth it? Oh, boy. Well, Dan, you know, that's that's a loaded question. I thought so. <laughs> some are and some aren't. You have to make some distinctions up front, though, or else it's not going to make any sense. So, you know, when you talk about bourbon, there are really two basic categories. There's mass market bourbons like Jim Beam, um, Evan Williams, and the like. And then there are the premium bourbons. These are small batch or single barrel bourbons, you know, like Woodford Reserve or Angel's Envy, or you know, there's a bunch of them. So you can usually find the mass market ones for about $25 for 750 milliliters. The premium ones will typically go for 30 to $65. Unfortunately, because distilleries allocate the quantities, those prices can go up quite a bit just due to simple supply and demand. If the stuff goes off the shelves quickly and the supply is limited, the stores will jack the price up knowing they'll be able to sell it at the elevated price because people are going to want it. Uh, I think I see here. It's uh, the old free market concept in action, eh? Yes, sir. And this is where things get a little messy. You know, the more popular a bourbon becomes, the pricier it gets. Sometimes the distilleries will raise the base price, but more often the price goes up because it's harder to find. So... Social media, you know, things like YouTube bourbon channels and the like, they act like free advertising for bourbon. If a well-respected bourbon reviewer says, oh, Gatwiz bourbon is fantastic, his followers <laughs> will, will, like, go and try to find it. It's what right. they do, right? If it is actually good, then this starts the price increase cycle. Right, and it's, you know, especially, I, I've heard of uh, famous people getting, you know, doing bourbons and all of that, and oh, yeah. you don't even know if the bourbon is really worth the price but oh it's uh peyton manning has his name on exactly and it's like oh okay well i guess i'll pay a hundred dollars for it you know and it could like my question like my burning question it could burn in your mouth uh, (laughs) you know Uh, i'm sure word of mouth among bourbon drinkers plays a role in this as well oh yeah you know the real bottom line though is uh, you know the person buying the bourbon should like the taste of the bourbon if you find a mass market bourbon that you really like And that's awesome because those bourbons aren't likely to go up in price from demand. They make a lot of them. So much of it is made constantly. And just because it's mass market doesn't necessarily mean it's inferior. It hasn't gone through the same aging process of the premium bourbons, so it won't have as many nuances in its flavor profile. But in the end, it really comes down to, do you like the way it tastes in your mouth? But again, keep in mind that Whiskey boils down to a couple of dollars a grain and one moderately expensive oak barrel. If you're going to, you know, you, what, what you're getting is basically caramel and vanilla flavor out of it. That's, that's the base because, you know, that's what compounds oak produces when it's toasted and set on fire. 
So I'm not going to kid you, though, and, and say the mass market and premium bourbons are the same. They're not. If you sport an exceptional set of taste buds, you'll always be able to tell the difference between the two types. But if the mass market bourbon seems bland to you, then you'll want to fork over the extra bucks for the premium hooch. If it doesn't, why spend the extra money? Yeah, well said. I mean, you know, other other than, you know, having it on your wall and you can point to it and people can say, oh, you have that bourbon? Oh, well, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I see you have poured us some bourbon. Uh, what is our bourbon of choice today? Today we are sampling Evan Williams' Black Label Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. I chose this one because it tends to do really well in blind tastings against other more well-known and expensive bourbons. It's, expen- it's, it's not expensive. It's inexpensive, and it's easy to find almost everywhere for about 20 bucks for 750 milliliters. This is a bourbon that I keep on my shelves as a go-to. It's only 86 proof, so it's mild, but it has a nice oak, brown sugar, and caramel flavor going for it. And it also has the obligatory aroma of vanilla with a little bit of mint thrown in. You know, I'm glad you said that about the bourbon because I do taste that in there. And, you know, my biggest thing with bourbon before really, you know, hearing what you said was, oh, does it burn when it goes down? <laughs> you know, <laughs> is that why people put ice cubes in, in the bourbon to mellow it out? Well, sometimes bourbons are quite strong and adding just a little bit of liquid in the form of an ice cube or just a splash of water will help some of those really concentrated flavors open up. Mm. You probably don't do that very often with a mass market bourbon, but you would with a single barrel or a small batch because those are the guys that generally come in on the really high proof levels and you need a little something to help it open itself up. Mark, we talk much about grace, and, and I've been accused of being an antinomianist. And basically it's the idea that because we're freed by grace that we can just live however we want. You know, we got that, uh, you know, license to sin. And it's just like, well, we can just go out and do whatever we want. There's no consequences. And, and that's the thing that, unfortunately, other theological points of view don't really understand about grace uh, because of their theology. And again, theology is just a study of God. That's that's all it is. And it is a point of view for sure. However, though, God has freed us so that we're free to obey him. And since we're free to obey him, it's a choice. And because it's a choice, we're reward, uh, rewarded for how we live our lives. And that's the doctrine of rewards is so important, and you really, unfortunately, it gets lost. And in, in, in really, when you start to have theology that, that, that basically slaps discipleship and salvation together, like it's a sandwich, and uh, it just gets really confusing. Uh, Mark, do you have any thoughts? Well, for sure. You know, there's a lot of confusion in the world and in Christian circles about how our obedience to God affects our relationship to him. And personally, I can tell you that until I understood the difference between salvation and discipleship, I was one confused puppy. Um, So, you know, to me, this sounds like a good road to go down for a while. I think the listeners might enjoy this. Let's hope so. Fingers crossed. Uh, We are going to look at Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. And it's the passage is what John MacArthur calls the greatest 
example of the gospel presentation. And he even wrote a book about it. I believe it was called The Gospel According to Jesus, uh, which is so ir- ironic that there's so many, you know, it just seems like he didn't even bother to read the Gospel of John. Uh, it just is the irony. Um, today I'm going to show you why it is the exact opposite. It is not the greatest gospel presentation. In fact, it's really a, a key passage to understanding rewards. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll never forget my Greek professor as I was sitting there in class. And, you know, we had Greek, you know, five days a week, you know. And, and every day, Mark, I, I prayed for the rapture to happen before I went to class. <laughs> and it didn't happen. Sounds uh, like me and thermodynamics. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> and I had to do it. And you know, the whole class is just, you know, everyone's tired. You know, everyone just wants to get out of there. And in, in the Greek language, you know, you can translate words several different ways. They'll have, the, they'll have the, a similar meaning, you know, in, in the realm, but, you know, you, you have some liberty with it. And the professor would say, in class, how do we know that this word is translated this way? And there would be a, this long pause and everyone's kind of like, who's going to be the one that answers? I don't want to answer. I'm, you didn't have everybody going, ooh, ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, ooh. yeah, yeah. No, we no, didn't, none of that. We didn't have that. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, somebody sheepishly would uh, raise their hand and say, uh, con- context? And the professor would say, yes, that's right. And then we would all go back to sleep. Uh, but that's kind of, you have to keep passages in context. And it's also important to understand that Chapter divisions and verse divisions are something that are added later. All right, so let's go ahead and look at this passage here. Verse 18, a certain ruler asked him, talking about Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, This is the NIV version. I think it's interesting he uses the phrase inherit eternal life. Um, Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So this is setting up what is going to take place here in a, in a little bit here. A, he presume, he calls him good, and Jesus is looking at him going, why would you do that? Why would you call me good here? And no one is good except for God. And so he goes on in verse 20, you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false uh, testimony, honor your father and mother. And I love the rich young ruler's response. All these I have kept since I was a boy. <coughs> really? Yeah, really? <laughs> really? I mean, uh, come on. I mean, uh, I mean, really, when I read that verse there, I, I just, I tend to think of Jesus as a boy and growing up and, and wondering, just how much his brothers probably disliked him for everything. <laughs> but he's uh, right there, you can kind of say there, there's an arrogance, there's a pride. So it, it is like the, you know, when I was in seminary, my professor said, he had one of his professors say, I haven't sinned in 10 years. And <laughs> he just did. He just did, right? <laughs> you know, and you're just thinking, okay, yeah. So we have, we have a problem here. And... When you look at this passage, and I'm just going to look up here at verse 18, uh, not verse 18, but at the start of chapter 18, because it is in verse 8, and it's talking about the, the, the widow, 
the poor widow that goes to the judge, the unjust judge. She goes to him, turns her down. Every day she keeps bothering him, pestering him. And he finally is like, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she she won't eventually come back and attack me. Uh, attack me, I, I think he's kind of talking about just pestering him in the, at that point right there. So he's going to answer her because she is persistent and she's consistent. And that's what the point is in verse 8 because Jesus makes the point of saying, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man, this is the important part here, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, in this context here, he's not talking about salvation from hell faith. He's talking about persistent faith, faith that we need to overcome trials, as James talks about in chapter 1. You know, that kind of faith is what he's talking about. Uh, Then he moves down here uh, to verse 9. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you can see tax collectors were hated. And so he's trying to draw a, a line here between this pharisaical idea of, oh, I haven't sinned in so long, to the, the, to the person who knows they're a sinner and they're saved by grace. And he, then he moves down here to the little children in Jesus. And Jesus has quite often said through the Gospels, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to do it as a child. And so what he's and, and really kids, they, they just simply believe. You don't have to really do a whole lot. You know, I believed when I was six years old. Of course, my brother told me about hell, and I, I was scared to death. And, uh, <laughs> that's I, what brothers are for. That's right. That's right. And uh, I believed at that point. So, you know, as I'm seeing a kind of a trend here, I don't, I, I think Jesus is talking both about your works, but I think he's really hitting home on the idea of not being a Pharisee, not being so prideful in your your works without having a genuine faith. Mark, what what are you thinking? No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, it's uh, I'm starting to sound like a one trick pony on the podcast here, but man, <laughs> I'm telling you, until you understand the difference between salvation and discipleship. Um, Life is really, really confusing, and I think this section um, where Jesus is is giving these parables, he's doing a great job of explaining. It's just unfortunate that our present-day Pharisees um, are so busy trying to interpret it as uh, you will do this or else, instead of, you know, if you do this, this is what you'll get rewarded with, uh, that it just confuses people. Yeah, and here's really the idea is that theology, people get so caught up in their own theology from their denomination, their church, or just personal theologies, and they essentially neuter what the Bible's really saying. And so they look through everything with the glasses of that theological perspective. And I get it, theology is good and it has its place. Uh, However, though, we need to really allow the Bible to speak look at, really, the context and also look at the grammar. And then what, is the, what are the cultural effects here? And when you look at all those things, you can start to understand what's really happening there. But if you just look at verses 18 to 30, 
I mean, I can see where John MacArthur would make that statement. It is the best gospel presentation, according to his theology. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the clip and paste. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, I think the the term they use uh, that I've heard is uh, "dial up a verse" to make your yeah. point. You dial know. a verse. That's yeah. right. Where it is? What do I need to speak on? Okay, I need that. All right, where's a good verse for me to pull up here? Yeah. Let me just uh, mute the whole thing and cut it out here. All right. So. Verse 26, Peter's tracking with Jesus here, and uh, he says, Who can be saved? And Jesus replies, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And the rich young ruler goes away sad because, well, Jesus essentially just tells him, like, look, go ahead and sell everything you have. He calls him on it, calls him to the floor. And the guy was rich, and in that culture, they thought that if you were rich, that that was a blessing from God. So for Jesus to tell him to sell everything, it's messing with his head, messing with everything that he had thought about God. You know, the, the same thing could be said of John chapter 9, where, you know, the guy's born blind. And, you know, the, the religious sect is saying, well, whose sin caused him to be born blind? And Jesus ends up saying, no one's. You know, he just was born blind. And Jesus heals him. And I think the same kind of thing here is that we get into this even in our modern culture. You know, if you're rich, oh, they're blessed by God. You know, if you're poor, it's like, what'd you do? You know, and, and, and that's so unfortunate that, that people do that. Uh, but moving right along here, uh, Jesus says to him, no one who has left home, in verse 29, or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in the age to come and in the age to come eternal life. So, Dan, you know, that that reminds me of um, a testimony that I heard from Arnold Fruchenbaum, who is one of my favorite theologians. He is a Messianic Jew. He grew up as a very, very Orthodox Jew in a very Orthodox family. And when he finally realized that Christ was the Messiah and accepted him as such, his family completely disowned him. Mm. And by that I mean they kicked him out. They wouldn't talk to him. They oh, wow. were they considered him to be dead. So you look at what Jesus says here, you know, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Well, Arnold, Dr. Fruchenbaum makes the point that when he made that choice and he separated from from Judaism, that immediately he felt just completely empty, but that he took Christ at his promise. Mm. And he says now, today, now granted, Arnold's an old guy, um, but it didn't take very long even uh, for all of those people who were his real family to be replaced mm. by people who were his God family. Yeah. He took him in, fed him, clothed him, nurtured him, mm. pushed him along the way. And now he claims that he has, you know, so many multitudes of people who are his family that he never had before. Yeah. So it's an, a direct example of the scripture coming to fruition. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Peter, when Jesus is talking to, talking to him, talking to the disciples here, it's, they did leave everything, 
but they had already believed. And that's the reason why Jesus says what he says. They had left everything. You know, some of them had left careers where they were, you know, they were fishermen. They were, you know, some of them had responsibilities and they left those aside. And, you know, it's a good thing for us as believers because how often is it so difficult for us to leave, uh, to be inconvenienced, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, Jesus said, I think it's, I believe it's uh, Matthew chapter 6, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And, you know, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth because moth and rust and those things are going to get old. They're going to grow. You know, you buy a new car tomorrow, it's great, and then you get that first ding on it. And it's just, there it goes. There go It gets devalued once you drive it off the lot. So, you know, it's really, this is, this passage is about, eternal rewards and about what you're investing in. And we need to remember that that that's what's going to happen in the life to come. How we're going to be rewarded is by what we invest in, in this life. And that's really the challenge that we have. Not that, Oh, this is a great gospel passage. Well, I could see the point. If you put discipleship with salvation, then yeah, I would agree with you. Yep. But again, I mean, that makes it incredibly difficult for people to get saved because we're all sinners, saved by grace. And it, there's and, that G word again. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I I always look at it, and I, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but God doesn't want you to become a Christian in order for you to become a Christian. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> but, anyways, uh, Mark, any final thoughts? I just look forward to discussing this whole concept of rewards further in some of the podcasts in the future because I think it's maybe it's one of those things that most believers never really think about or when they do they think oh I'm being selfish I shouldn't be thinking about rewards <laughs> and then you find out you know Jesus says things like yeah you should you know yeah. like you said store up your treasure in heaven right mm-hmm. so anyway Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it Dan awesome Well, hey, folks, thanks for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and smash that like button, as they say. Again, people aren't going to know about this podcast unless you faithful listeners uh, just simply, you know, rate and review and subscribe. So that's the reason why we ask that, so we move up in that algorithm there. So also, if you have any questions, queries, conundrums, or comments, please drop us an email at contact at sanctuarybb.org. We'd love to hear from you and may just read one of your comments or questions on the air. Join us next week when we will be sampling Shimei Red Ale and discussing the topic, how can I be acceptable to God? And this tagline that I typically say is from a guy, I have to give him credit because it's, it's Bob Wilkin. And he, I heard him in a sermon and he said, as always, remember that we are not saved because we are eternally faithful to the Savior. We are saved. Because the Savior is eternally faithful to us.